0: from verse 12. Let's read it. These are two really great stories. I'm sure you've heard them before. Um, uh, While he, that's Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report of him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of these days he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So these are the real big wigs. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus.' he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he, was, uh, what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. What does a man with leprosy and a paralytic have to do with each other? Why did Luke put one... After the other. And even more importantly, what do they have to do with us? Why do we need to hear about a man with leprosy and a paralytic? Why does Luke think it's important for us? Both leprosy and paralysis affected the whole body. We're going to talk, I, I want to tell you a little bit about the history to understand what the people of the time understood and then see how it applies to us. Both paralysis and leprosy affected the whole body, and the Jews saw leprosy as a punishment from God. Uh, coming from Numbers 12, when Miriam grumbled and God punished her with uh, leprosy. And so they saw this as, you know, you you must be some uh, really bad sinner because God has put this on you. So um, it was the priest's job to diagnose leprosy, and there's a whole in Leviticus, a whole way that you could see what it was. If the priest diagnosed you with leprosy, you were told to leave the town. You had to go out of the town. If you didn't, you were uh, beaten with 39 lashes that's 39 because 40 would kill you. So it was a very serious uh, thing, and you had to get out of town real quick. Um, you could not have contact with any, anyone. So imagine that you're a parent, uh, or, a ch- and you, or you have a dad or a mum, and they've got some uh, skin rash, and they go to the priest to, see, to hear what it is, and they never come home because it's called leprosy. They have to leave straight away. You never see them again. Well, you can see them, but not from a close distance. If they stand downwind, I forget which, which this is, but basically if they stand in the opposite direction of the wind or, or the way the wind is going, they can get within six feet of you. That's the closest. However, if they stand the other direction with the wind, and they have to stand 100 feet away from you. That's, that's the distance, the closest they can get. So no physical contact. If they were to come uh, inside the city and touch your home, it would need to be burnt down with all of its belongings. If they were to touch an animal, they would have to kill the animal. So you can understand why lepers were outcasts and no one wanted them anywhere near them, because obviously a touch from a leper was great it had a great cost to you. Um, and so Leviticus records all these things about like how here's how you can uh, here's how you can cleanse a leper, do this, do that, and. Um, the problem was that in 1,500 years of having these laws about how to cleanse a leper, the, the Jews had never had anyone to cleanse because no, cle- no one ever got healed. So in 1,500 years of having these laws and these rules, they've, they've n- not seen anyone get cleansed, but it's within their ceremonial... They have these ceremonies that the priests have to learn. I mean, what a waste of time. Can you imagine going to preschool and they go like, okay, now we're going to talk about the laws from Leviticus uh, in Leviticus about how to cleanse a leper. And someone goes, uh, has this ever happened? And the priest goes, well, not yet. Uh, in how long? 1,500 years. Do we really have to learn this? Yes, you do. Um, and so there's, there's, there's these kind of ways, but they just haven't been used before. They called people with leprosy the living dead. Then there's paralysis. Paralysis didn't leave you excommunicated. You could, you, could be part of, you could be part of life. They still saw it as kind of a, a, a punishment from God. Um, but you could be part of life. The problem with paralysis was you were vulnerable in real need of people's kindness and love. If people didn't want to take care of you, you, you had no way to take care of yourself. And so you were functionally dead. While they didn't call you the living dead um, within this time and space, you were functionally dead. And so uh, Luke is telling us that we have two people and here's the problem. They have a problem that affects every cell of their body and facet of their life and leaves a person functionally dead. These are big deals. These, these deals affect everything about their life, their community, their people, their, their hopes, their dreams. And there are, people who, there are two people who are functionally dead in this life. Their encounter with Jesus... Changes their lives. Jesus comes and he touches the leper. Remember, uh, uh, the, the leper is not allowed to touch anything. Whatever the leper touches is called unclean. And Jesus comes and says he touches him. And in our English Bibles, it just sounds like he, he kind of like brushed past. But the word there is really like he he took a hold of him. He grabbed him. He, he he let this person know that he was here in this place. And he touches him. He grabs him, and he says to him, um, "Be healed." And so instead of Jesus being uh, unclean, the unclean leper is cleansed, is healed. It's the first time in 1,500 years they've seen this, this miracle. Uh, Jesus is showing that he is above the curse. He is above this punishment. Uh, When Jesus comes, he has the power and the authority to reverse it and to heal it instead of receive it. Um, And no one's ever seen this before. The paralytic comes with friends, and he can't get Jesus to himself, and so they find a way. Um, Interesting to me, this isn't what I'm going to preach about this morning, but it's interesting to me that it's the curious crowd that keeps people out. I wonder how often it's kind of our Christianese that keeps people away from Jesus. They can't get to Jesus because there's such a big crowd. The people who are closest to Jesus are the ones keeping someone else away from Jesus. The real religious ones, in the sense of it all, who are, who are sitting down listening to Jesus, and, and when you sit in, in this culture, when you sit, it's a position of authority. It means you're, you're the like, kind of the professor in the room, and Jesus now has to convince you that His message has credibility. So they're sitting in this, kind of the seats of honor. They're keeping people who need Jesus away from Jesus. So in this picture, it's the real, it's the real religious mature ones who were keeping keeping the needy ones away from getting what they need from Jesus. But the friends are great. They get him on a roof. Um, we don't know if he wants to get on the roof or not, but it doesn't matter. They get him on a roof. They, put him, put the tile, they break the tiles. And you can imagine the conversation. The house owner is like, what are you doing? And then I guess, okay, we'll pay for it. Um, there's some sort of cost. There's some sort of discomfort. There's some sort of mess. But they're willing to do that to get him to Jesus. And they do. And then Jesus says, uh, first, he says to the guy, um, your sins are forgiven, which is a bit strange, right? They want Him to be healed, but He first takes care of His spiritual need and says, your sins are forgiven. And then He says, you know, rise up, grab your bed, and go home. Often we remember the rich young ruler, you know, if you want to follow Jesus, pick up your cross, follow Him. If you want to follow Jesus, like the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and follow Him. We forget that the bad guy, you know, this guy, he obviously is going to love Jesus, believe in Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? Pick up your bed and go home. Um... Jesus is is concerned about our hearts, uh, He's concerned about our lives, and and we just can't put Him in a box. You just can't expect what Jesus is going to do. And so, both these guys get up, the one gets up, and Jesus wants to restore him to His community, the leper, restore him to His family, restore him to His church, restore him to His people, restore him home. And they both get up and they glorify God. The leper gets up. We, we, he doesn't, we, Luke doesn't tell us uh, what he does, but, but what we do find out is word about Jesus spreads, probably through the priests. The first priest that gets to actually do the ceremony of cleansing, um, that he spreads it amongst the priests. This leper tells the story. His family tells the story. News about Jesus gets out. He's glorifying God. He, um, and in this paralytic, he 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 rises up. God, Jesus doesn't tell him to glorify God, but he says he gets up, he grabs his bed, and he glorifies God in leaving. And that's their similarities: they both rise up and glorify God. What do these cases have to do with you and I? Here's the three points I want to make this morning, and thank Keller for the first two. Number one, you hear, heard this before. You hear this a lot from me, or if you read Keller is you are far worse than you think. Number two, you are far more loved than you can imagine. And this is the point I really want to get to today, is uh, when you really, really, really understand this, when you grasp it with your heart, you will uh, naturally, instinctively, accidentally rise up and glorify God. And that's what I want to get to in application today. Let me first try and convince you that you and I are far worse than we think. Welcome to church. Visitors, welcome to King's Cross. Glad you're here. I'm going to tell you that you are far worse than you think. Um, In the beginning of creation, God makes this beautiful, perfect creation, Adam and Eve. He makes this beautiful world and He dwells with humanity. You know that, right? So life is without death. Joy is without suffering. Love is without fear. Life, it's just beautiful and perfect and hopefully what it's going to be one day for um, for you. So there's hardly this like distinction um, between the self and the we. The, the, the two are one. This community is in togetherness, and they work together, and they, um, they just love life together in this little community, Adam and Eve. Uh, and unfortunately, they believe a lie of the serpent, and they become discontent in their hearts. They, they start to believe another word, not God's word. And they start to long for something that God told them not to have. And they believe this false word. Um, and they, they do this thing, whatever, you know, who cares what fruit they eat. The, the point is that they, they did what God told them not to do. And, and here's, I want to break it down for you quickly, if I can. Brian, if you can put up the big slide, just so you can see how serious discontentment is. What were they experiencing? Just discontentment. It's simple. Just discontentment. Discon- we all experience discontentment at some stage. What did they believe about themselves? They really had to take care of themselves. God is withholding from them. If they really want to advance in life, if they really want to get ahead, they're going to have to go take care of themselves a little bit. What did this mean about God? It means that God, functionally it means that God was not good. God was not trustworthy. God was not loving. God was not faithful. God was withholding from them. He didn't care for them. So they have to do something for themselves. This is functionally what they believe. No Christian will ever say this is what they believe. And yet functionally by our lives, this is precisely what we believe. What did this mean God was like? God was not good. He was not trustworthy. He was not faithful. He was not loving. God was evil. This is what the small, just discontentment. He's saying, yeah, functionally, actually, I've, I'm the good one. God's the evil one. I, can, I need to trust myself. I can't trust God. Uh, and, and so I've got to go and take what I need. And so God punishes their disobedience and sends them out of the beautiful garden. A bit like the leper. He gives them what they wanted, which is terrible. This is, this is basically the definition of hell is getting what you want from God. In other words, no God. If God is the source of all goodness, then hell is the absence of all goodness because it's the absence of God. And so they get the absence of God. They get what they want. They get to be gods in creation and all sorts of sins sin abound. They, they invent murder and jealousy and pride and lying and stealing and fear because they're no longer living in God's perfection, God's plan. That's the greatest danger is that God will one day give us what, he, what we want, which is a world without Him. So God makes people who could show the world uh, what He's like. He makes the Israelites, the Jews, and they soon rebel against God by worshipping other idols, um, idols that they've created. So God creates them, a people. He does all these miracles with them. And, and then while God's talking to Moses up on a mountain, they're busy like carve out of wood and whatever. Some things they can worship. A cow, a frog, or whatever. Whatever you can make. And they want to worship those things. It seems stupid, right? It just seems so dumb. Probably because it's external. But I think internally there's things that are equally man-made in our hearts that we easily worship. So, listen to this. Isaiah says, this is the state of the nation. Isaiah says, there wasn't even a person who could pray for his people. This is how bad the nation of Israel gets, is there wasn't even someone who could pray. The psalmist writes, there is no one alive who is righteous before you. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I, say, I bring up that John text because as soon as we, we kind of want to divorce ourselves and say, yeah, but this is like people who don't know Jesus. Remember, Isaiah is talking about God's people. Remember, the psalmist is a great believer, the man, a man after God's own heart. Remember, John is the, the beloved disciple of Jesus. Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. But in our hearts, we argue, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a reformed person... I'm changed, I'm not what I used to be, I'm no longer the sinner I was. Isaiah says to us, this is what he says in Isaiah 64 verse 6, he says, Each of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It may be true that there is reform, it should be, hopefully it is, that there's change, that you're not what you used to be. And yet we are still worse than we, can think, than we think. Yet our best deeds are still polluted rags. Yet our, our, um, our wonderful chocolate mousse pies that we take to the Father to say, you must be so impressed, are really just mud. Isaiah is saying, listen to his words carefully, each of us has become like one who is unclean. Who's unclean? In the story? The leper. Each of us has become like one who is a leper, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted rags. Why would a righteous deed of a leper be a polluted rag? Because it's been touched by him. The leper had to tear his clothes, walk around, and if someone came close to the leper, they had to shout this, Unclean! 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 That is, scare you away by shouting, unclean, unclean. Isaiah is saying, You know, we've become like lepers. Everything we touch is like a polluted garment. Our very best deeds are still polluted garments. And we can do nothing to heal ourselves. It will will take this great miracle of knowing Jesus. So James says this, he said, Whoever keeps the whole law... He's thinking about the Ten Commandments, I believe. But fails at one point, has become guilty of all of it. Jesus said, and you might think you haven't uh, broken the law. Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. If you are angry with your brother, you have committed murder. White lies, jealousy, impatience, these are all forms of sin. That James says, if you've done any of these, you've done all of them. And Jesus takes it to the heart level. So who, who here, and please don't stand up, it's a rhetorical question, stand up if you have never lusted in your heart, or let's not even say never, recently not lusted in your heart, or been angry, or uh, taken something that you shouldn't have, skimped on the side, or you know, or been jealous of what someone else had, or coveted what someone else had, I mean, we can keep going. And the point that James goes well, if, if, you've, if any of you are, are uh, sitting because you can't stand because you've, you've, you've seen some of that in your life, then you are guilty of all of it. And, and the primary thing there that we're guilty of is that we have gods before God. That's the first law. Have no other God before me. In other words, we're back to Adam and Eve's problem that there's something we're functionally saying, God, you're not that good you're not that trustworthy, we're going to have to take care of ourselves. You're not that beautiful, I've got to find beauty in someone else. You're, you're not Jehovah Jireh, my provider, I've got to skimp on the side to provide for myself. I've got to be discontent, or jealous, or covet what someone else has. And so every sin is saying, God is evil, he cannot be trusted. No one in this room is willing to say that with their lips. But we come close to saying that with our lives. So let me give you a couple of examples. Why does a child steal a lolly from a shop after mum says no? Because that's what they want. And they don't yet believe that God is good and has promised to provide what they need. So they've got to take what they want, and look after themselves. It's quite simple. Why does a businessman do an under-the-table deal? A Christian businessman, sorry. Because in that moment, they don't really believe that God is their provider, and they believe that they need to do something a bit illegal, to avoid some taxes, to make, make a bit of money, to put it into their wallets, to provide for themselves, Because God can't really be trusted with that. God isn't really good. We're far worse than we think. I hope you don't hear me. Um, What I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to... Let me just say what I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to say... I'm not trying to make you feel small. What I'm, trying to show, di- I'm trying to more diagnose us, our hearts. I'm trying to reveal what our hearts and our minds are like, that we're far worse than we think. Every day we feel things or think things or do things functionally that says God isn't good, God isn't loving, God can't be trusted. I need to look out for myself. Functionally, I, I'm, the, I'm the greatest good that I have in this life. I need to rely on myself, and this is the great offense. This is this is the this is what shows us the sin in our hearts, that we are far worse than we think. So, if we're willing to allow ourselves to see this, if we will resist trying to cover it up and um, make up for it we find ourselves in a position where we're on our knees, where we feel humble, where we go, oh no, okay, now what? This is terrible. Then that's good. Then we're in a good position. We're in a position to hear the good news because that's only point number one. You're far worse than you think. And that brings us to our knees, hopefully. Because point number two is, well, you are more loved than you can imagine. In order for you to understand the kind of love God has for you, you have to see how wicked your heart is. The more you can understand the wickedness of your heart, the greater you can understand the depth of His love. If you can't really see that you're worse than you think, you can't really see the grandness of His love because He doesn't really, you're just so lovable anyway, He doesn't really need to be that lovely to love you. I mean, you after all are good. God after all should serve you. He should answer your prayers, do what you need, do what you want and follow your will but when you can see the depth of your sin, I don't mean before Jesus, I mean right now, then we can start to imagine the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of His love, that in spite of us, He's chosen us, He's called us, He's come for us. So God's given this ceremony to the Jews to to cleanse them, and in 1,500 years, they've never seen it happen. And Jesus comes in, and what Jesus is saying is that I'm the, I am the source of the ceremony. The reason that there can be any cleansing, there has to be some source, and I'm that source. One of the things they would, they would do is they would take two doves, and they would kill the one, and they would sprinkle some of the blood on the other dove, and then they would free it, release it. And we fi- we're going to find, in, in, not this morning, but we find in the journey of Jesus... He becomes this dove who is killed and whose blood is sprinkled on on the lives of others, so that they might be free and called cleansed. One life given that the lives might be saved. And Jesus takes us back. He shows that he, he is what they've been waiting for. You've been waiting 1,500 years to see someone cleansed. I am the cleaner. I am the one who is larger than the curse. Please don't think that Jesus saving people is just what He does. You know, like a mum has to, like a mum has to love her kids. I, I don't, I've ne- I mean, I, I don't think I've met a mum who doesn't love her kids. Like they just have to. I mean, I don't know if it's the same for mums and dads. In my my short experience as children, you know, cr- a kid cries at night, and I'm like, they'll be fine, yes. Just leave them; they'll be okay. And I feel, and she's not even in the bed; she's already gone. Now they're older. Now they know where we live. They come find us in the middle of the night. It's like, it's it's your fault. They know where we are, and they think that we want to help them. But there's this kind of instinctive duty in a mum to kind of pull themselves out, and and in dads as well, just not in all dads. Um, But... It's a, little, it's a little bit of, of, of a duty bound. It's kind of a, I have to, I have to. This, this, I just have to do this. I've got to, got to give my life to this. And there is also, you know, I'm not saying moms aren't loving. There is also, I'm sure, love. But I, what I want to say is, Jesus isn't this instinctive has to die person. He's not this soldier who has this duty that he can't resist, that he has this chore that he has to accomplish, that he has to get up at night because the children are crying. He, 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 he can't resist it. He just has to do it. Jesus wills to do this. Jesus desires to do this. Jesus is the mom who, when the child cries at night, wakes up going, this is what I've waited for. I've waited to be needed for them to know that being alone is not okay. Yes! I can't wait to run in and grab that child and pick them up. This is what I want. I give up sleep every night for every cry. It's His will, it's His desire, it's His longing, it's His heart to engage with us, to get to us, to be with us. Listen to the psalmist. What does he appeal to? He says, Have mercy on me, O God. Listen to what? According to Your steadfast love, according to Your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin according to your love, your mercy. Listen to Paul. He says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were the living dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. John wrote, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. You see, this isn't duty. This isn't, he can't do any other. I mean, in a sense, he can't. But why? Because he is so gracious. God is so merciful. God is so loving. According to that God, look upon my iniquities. Look upon my sins. I'm on my knees. I'm worse than I think. But please deal with me in your love, in your mercy, in your grace. And then listen to Jesus' own words. The leper comes to Jesus. The story we read, the leper says, listen to the leper's words. It's very interesting. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, Lord, you can make me clean. He's not appealing to the power of Jesus to heal him. He knows Jesus has the power to heal him. He's heard stories about this guy. I don't know how the leper got that close to Jesus. Did he hide behind some bush? He's not allowed in the city. Anything he touches is going to be terrible. Somehow he's got to where Jesus is. He falls upon him and he doesn't say, Lord, you have the, the ability to heal me. He says, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. It's not about your power. I know you've got the power. It's about your heart, Jesus. If you have the heart to do it, you can make me well. And what does Jesus say to him? The two most precious words in this whole text. Jesus says, I will. I will. Not I will, as in, yeah, okay, I will, I'm going to do it. I will, as in, leper, if you could cut me open, if you could tear me open and see my heart, you would see there's nothing I want to do right now more than heal you. I want to do it. I desire to do it. I'm going to come close to you. In fact, I'm going to say it to you while I hold you. And he puts his hands on him and says, I will be clean. And the leprosy goes. Uh, we're reading, um, <coughs> sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. How simple is it to get cleansed by Jesus? I mean, it's just that, that's just draw on the heart of Jesus. How simple is it to get help from Jesus? How simple when we're on our knees and we go, God, I'm worse than I think. I see this thing in my life again. I've struggled with it again, you must be getting impatient with me, I don't know, I'm worse than I think, I'm on my knees, I need your help. How simple is it to get help from Jesus? Just appeal to his heart, that's how simple it is. The paralytic shows you what it costs. What does it cost to get help from Jesus? I mean, what does it cost to get help from a specialist? It's pretty expensive. <laughs> he's, he's the specialist, he's like the real specialist. What does it cost to get help from him? The paralytic shows us nothing, just lie there doing nothing at his feet. Appeal to his heart and lie at his feet. Let him do the rest. Dane Ortlund, this book that I encourage you to read called Gentle and Lowly and a few of us in the church are reading and meeting and chatting and, and it's incredibly powerful. He says, Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to Him for help and mercy. Please, please, please tattoo that upon your heart, on your conscience, on your thoughts. Believe it. There's not a verse in Scripture I can, that this is just someone's words, but they're true. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to Him for help and mercy. If you want to make Jesus happy, go to Him for help and mercy. Fall at His feet and say, I've done it again. I'm worse than I thought. I, my, my best efforts are dirty rags. I need you, Jesus. And he gets more joy and comfort. What kind of joy and comfort do we get? We get the joy and comfort a leper gets when someone touches them for the first time in years and says, you are healed. That's a lot of joy and comfort. Christ gets even more. Not many of us think of ourselves as sinners. It's not how we walk around most of the times. We We can't handle it. We refuse to believe that we're worse than we think it's hard to live with that idea and when we do this we miss out on seeing that we're more loved than we can imagine we protect ourselves from the greatest love ever known i've spent most of my life protecting myself from god's love i've spent most of my life being a pharisee trying to be good most of my life trying to be a mature christian most of my life trying to memorize scriptures most of my life trying to pray as often as I can. Most of my life trying to do good deeds. Most of my life trying to show people that I'm a Christian. Most of my life trying to show Christians that I'm mature. Most of my life, most of my life, most of my life, all these things as masks, as shells, as shields to, to avoid having to see what's in my heart or what's in my mind or to admit it. And you can't admit it when, when you, that's how you're spending your life. You can't admit those things. But when you discover that you are far more loved than you can imagine, I remember exactly what I was saying. I heard, I heard Keller say these things. I was like, why does such a smart guy keep saying such silly things? <laughs> and I was at a bus stop in the city, and I was, just, I was reading it and meditating on it, and, and looking at and just going like, God, I need your help to understand what he's saying. And I remember the moment, it was, like, it was like the Holy Spirit opened up, I don't, it's gross to say my head, but <laughs> opened me up and poured revelation into my heart. You are more loved than you can imagine. I remember it started pouring. My first thought was, if I'm more loved than I can imagine, then there's nothing I can do to stop him from loving me. Nothing. And as I believed that, I realized this was my next question. Then why am I hiding anything from anyone? Because it doesn't matter. He's going to love me anyway. And I got on that bus, a changed person, a changed man. Nothing to hide nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, because regardless, He loves me. Oh, how He loves me. Look what happens in the lives of the two guys um, that rise up and glorify God. The leper is told to go to the priest. To carry out the, the ceremony and to be restored to his community. He can't help but glorify God and spread the word about Jesus, what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. In fact, he told him not to do that. Just be quiet, just go do the ceremony. Instead of singing unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm his song changed. The B- Bill Gaither, I think, picks it up well. He touched me. He touched me. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and he made me whole. Jesus tells the paralytic to get up, pick up your bed, go home. Luke writes, and immediately he rose before them, picked up what he was lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus didn't tell him to glorify God. He just did that. Why? Because he realized he was, his life was changed. He's touched by Jesus. His sins were forgiven and his body was made whole. He went home glorifying God. They both rise up and glorify God. Let me land and then Josh is going to take us to communion. If you don't see that you're worse than you think, here's the problem. If you don't see that you're worse than you think, you you and I continue to live with our leprosy, our spiritual leprosy, our our hearts and our minds and our our thoughts and our behaviors. Our, our actions against the Lord our, our, and sin rules over us and we won't change. If you see that you're worse than you think but not more loved than you can imagine, you'll have to hide, you'll have to carry up, cover up, you'll have to, you will be discouraged, you will be downcast, you will be the Christian whose bottom lip is dragging on the floor because you're aware of how horrible you are, how sinful you are, how unlovable you are, but you're not aware that you're more loved than you can imagine. And so just woe is me. There will be no joy in the service of the Lord. You may be the best servant of the Lord, but there'll be no joy at night. You'll fall asleep every night going, I haven't done enough. I am not enough. There'll be no joy in your, your life. But if you see that you're worse than you think, And if you see that you're more loved than you can imagine, then you will miraculously rise up and glorify God. No one will need to tell you to do it. You just do it. I can remember, I don't remember a lot of, if you know me well, you'll know how it's amazing for me to say I can remember when. Because I don't, I, I watched a movie last night, I couldn't even tell you what it was called. I just don't remember a lot of things. I can remember exactly where I was standing when I got on that bus. I can remember exactly how I felt. I can take a good guess at what I was wearing. I can tell you so many things about that moment because the Holy Spirit had miraculously touched me. No one needed to tell me to be joyful. No one needed to tell me to be free. No one needed to tell me to liberate my heart. No one needed to tell me to confess. No one needed to tell me, I I just knew it. I was miraculously free. I knew that I was worse than I, th- I, I believed, and it's been a journey ever since then to continue to see, whoa, I'm way worse than I thought on that day too. Every day is a fresh discovery of, I'm worse than I thought yesterday. And I don't mind that, because that gives me access to see that He loved me, and He knew that's what I was like. He knows what I'm like. And so we fall to our knees, in confession and repentance. Yeah. And we get up miraculously because He touches us, because He loves us, because He went to the cross for us, because He's the dove whose blood was spilt on our lives to give us freedom, to give us liberty. And He did this because He wanted to. And so we go to our knees, we worsen our think when we think, then we think, we, then we discover that, we've, that we are more loved than we can imagine, and there's this beautiful axis. That's what I keep trying to do with my hands, is show you this, this like chronological increasing axis, that yes, we go down and we see that we're worse than we think, but it's not a miserable thing if we're at the same time seeing that we're more loved than we can imagine. It's the, and, and the pictures that are often shown in the books uh, that reflect on this is when, maybe when you get saved... You, you, got, you, you knew you were a sinner enough to get saved, to say to Jesus, oh no, I'm a sinner in need of salvation, and you knew that He was enough of a Savior to save you, that the cross was just that big. Now, as you go here, the cross is a giant. It's the thing you run to so many times a day. It's the th- where you find your identity, where you find your peace, where you find your joy. It's the thing most precious to you in your life. And at the foot of the cross, you're seeing, yes, I'm the depth of my sin is deeper than I thought, but the height of His love is greater than I knew. And the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why we never leave it. That's why at King's Cross, we'll never preach about anything else but the gospel. And we, then we rise up to glorify God. Here's Jesus' word on the matter, John six thirty nine. And with this, i hand over to Josh for communion. Jesus says, in prayer, "And this, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should not that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day." Is Jesus's love going to run out? Is His patience going to run out? Is there nervousness to see that you are worse than you think? Should you ever be afraid of going to your knees in confession or repentance? Should you ever be nervous of admitting to your brothers and sisters that there's sin in your life? What if Jesus changes one day? You have no need to fear. Here's how long it's going to last. Here's how long He's going to love you more than you can imagine. It is the will of God that I should lose nothing, that's you and I, of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There is no expiry date on His love. He will raise us up on the last day in His love. He saved us in love. He will raise us in love. And between then and then, which is now, we remain in His love. There is no need to fear. Let me pray.